Hi, this is Peter Bart and Mike Fleming, and this is the Bart Fleming Podcast. So, Mike, um, the the Globes are now past us, and once again, uh, there's this debate about whether or not it's a good show and legitimate award show. And I I was amused that the Wall Street Journal runs a piece uh, yesterday which said, look, with all the arguments about the globe, let's face this reality. It's more fun than the Oscars. And in many cases, the winners are more interesting and certainly more widely acknowledged by the public. I mean, the Globes this year honored Roma, Bohemian Rhapsody, and the Green Book. Now, say what you will about those choices. In point of fact, they're original movies. They weren't reboots or remakes uh, or sequels or prequels. Uh, There were were films that, and this is typical of, of the Golden Globes choices, that found very wide audiences out there and, and wide acceptance around the world. At the same time, the discussions and the controversies about the Globe hosts, um, sure, they were uh, awkward, there were glitches, there were mistakes, but you know, Sandra Oh and Andy Samberg were fun to watch with all their glitches. And, and uh, the fact that the Oscars can't even anoint a host as yet, and it's getting late, uh, I think illustrates the fact that in a, in a, in a paradoxical way, uh, the Oscars are confounded by the Globes and their successes, their radiant successes. What do you think, Mike? Well, well I, think, I think everything, everything you said, except I'm going to be, uh, take the opposite position on I thought the Globes was just dreadful. Um, again, and, and the problem I have with the winners is you don't really have a sense as to how much of that is based on merit or how much of that is based on which, uh, which, you know, which film company spent the most, um, did something lavish with these 93 anonymous uh, journalist voters um, to, to bolster their position. It's just a, it's, it's a big hype fest. And I think there's a lot of questions uh, as to how valid it is. Um, I thought the hosts were really kind of benign and dull. I thought that, for instance, um, Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph reenacting, uh, you know, the, 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 the Oscar, you know, the, he's one of the producers of the Oscars, their director, what is it, Glenn Weiss, his proposal, I thought was just stilted and awkward and just mind-numbingly um, just like, what are you doing? I felt the same way about when they sent people out to give them, to give flu shots to the crowd. I, I just thought it was just bizarre. And I understand that, um, that a lot of the material that they prepared, maybe as much as 40%, they never got to do it because the show ran so long. And I've been told actually that, you know, uh, the, because some people who win have to come so far to make it on the stage that even like Oscars, that whole thing about people hugging each other and, and, and when sauntering to the stage, in total, you can lose 20 minutes. That can take 20 minutes, 20 whole minutes. And so I think, you know, I, I think there's, there, the, the, the hostless Oscars, and I believe it will be hostless, 
I don't. I, I think when I looked at those hosts of the Golden Globes, I think I don't think you lose anything by not having a host. I think that the, if they can find a way to speed it up and get people on the stage and get them off the stage, I think Gil Cates a few years ago uh, had this idea where they were going to basically hand walk out and hand people uh, their awards in their seats and then put a microphone in front of their face and let them speak a little. That would certainly help. Um, but, you know, but, but any way that you can basically make this thing go further and not have people like myself saying, um, praying for death, I think is a good thing. Well, Mike, I think that, uh, the, that the, the Globe show has been around for what, a couple of generations now. And there have long been arguments about the fact that the people who pick the awards are these 90, um, 90 uh, people who write for papers around the world, they, by and large, earn their living uh, as journalists writing mostly personality pieces for, for, for papers uh, overseas. Maybe, and sure, but they're, Peter, enter- but here's the they're thing, entertained. But, but one thing, Peter, Peter the, the, Academy, the, the Academy Awards, as you know, because you're a voter, they're basically um, given out by peers. There is actual, there is actual, these are people who know what they're doing. They know the craft. They, if somebody's in, uh, if somebody wins best editor, um, basically the advocates for that are people who actually know what, ed, what, what you would do in an editing room. That is so not the case with the Golden Globes. I don't think the Golden Globes are anything more than like the people's choice or, or anyone who has an opinion of the best films of the year. I just don't think it really, I, I just think that it's, the fact that it's gotten to be such a big hype machine and Hollywood made it that way. But I just think that, I, I don't know. I just, I, I was, I was left cold by the broadcast and I must say that it left me sitting there thinking what, what right do these 93 journalists that, that are not prominent and that you and I probably have never even heard of to basically give out awards and actually have a say in the momentum of pictures and Oscar season. I think that's a point of view that was interesting when it was first articulated 40 years ago. But the Globes has been with us forever. They're simply part of the scene. And you can argue endlessly about the credentials of the voters. The point of fact that the show is a big hit, that the ratings uh, have, have validated it in a way. People like it. And even... The, 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 you're right, the, there's a lot of time wasted by people getting up and kissing everyone around them and so forth, and then they've had a few drinks of their walk to the stage is not always precise, but I would argue that there's a sort of entertainment value in that. You're part of this bizarre dinner party. I've been to several Globe dinners, and let me tell you this, they're a lot more fun to attend as a social event they're a lot more fun to attend than the Oscar ceremony. And if by, by making the Oscars militaristic, by racing it along and jamming uh, mics into people's faces, that ain't going to help, really. I think what would help, of course, if a lot of these categories, short subjects, for example, are simply um, abandoned, which the Globes does. And again, you have to admit that there are a lot of things that the Golden Globes, with all their gaucheness and mistakes, that is bold and clever. There'd be tremendous opposition within the Academy, of which I've been a member for decades, if you eliminate some of these categories. On the other hand, 
uh, it would sure speed up the show. But here, Mike, I'd like your opinion of this. The, the whole arena of political correctness, which is uh, haunting the selection of an Oscar host, given the fact that uh, Kevin Hart has suddenly became damaged good because of old social media posts. To me, the disease of political correctness is fascinating because it unites both the right and the left. Like Peggy Noonan, for example, a Republican stalwart, former presidential aide, she writes a column for the Wall Street Journal, vented this week that political correctness is the enemy of art, that the trend toward self-censorship or organized censorship amounts to an assassination of creativity. And I think we're seeing this in lots of areas, the, the Oscar uh, situation being, the, being the newest. Well, I think that, the, the, you know, the, this, this sort of rekindling of Kevin Hart, um, and then you looked at all these pieces and people are they basically turned it into a referendum on Kevin Hart. And look, I, I saw those, uh, those homophobic tweets that he delivered, and I thought they were repugnant, uh, frankly. Um, they were a long time ago, and I don't know what's in this guy's heart or not. But I just think that what are we talking about? He 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 was being he was being uh, asked to MC a television broadcast, and suddenly it you know you have people dissecting all of his comedy routines and what he said about women and what he said about gay people, and I see this happening all the time. Whenever Louis C.K. gets on stage, his whole routine is being um, put under a microscope. I just think it is getting. Uh, just uh, kind of at a level where it's just uh, in, in, enough. Um, uh, well, let, you know, me give this, you, let me give you an whole... example. You know, Pe- Peggy Noonan took a look at a Randy Newman album, Good Old Boys, from dating back to 1974. And in it, there's songs like Redneck and, and so forth. Now, that, in that album, brilliant album, it put forth a, ver- a, a whole variety of epithets that would cause moral outrage today. So if you go back and review old, old movies, old TV shows, uh, old tweets, and, and even old lyrics, you know, you, you look at it by the standards of today, and there's a lot that's repugnant. And couldn't a, a case be made for not going back and re-reviewing the past and, and not trying to, to, to comment? Uh, see, what I think is missing is an understanding that a lot has changed in, in public taste and morality over the last generation. Yeah, but Peter, also, you, you have to remember, now this, this whole Me Too thing uh, came, on, came on after the Harvey Weinstein allegations were made by the New York Times and the New Yorker. And then uh, a, a succession of executives were toppled, and every time we see that happen, uh, just when you think this is run out of steam, you see someone like Les Moonves be exposed as just as bad as any of these people in the way he behaved towards women. But the, but the thing is now those lines have become blurred. And so you, you look at these stories kind of basically breathlessly saying that this person has been uh, put on the shelf momentarily while, while an investigation is, is being weighed about how they yelled at people or something like that. And, you know, people in Hollywood have been yelling at each other and yelling at underlings forever. People have been treated badly uh, coming up in the ranks. I, I, some would call it hazing. 
Um, it happens at all the agencies. I've heard uh, people tell me stories about how their first job was walking a producer's pet pig. Um, you know, it's you know. So, so I guess the question is, how far are we taking this? I think it's going to continue um, because what we have are you know our journalists who are who are who maybe think that they're helping the greater good by taking these people down, even if the 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 so-called crime gets less and less. And there are, and so the, and then you have these corporations that are so scared of basically standing up and saying, you know what? Yeah, this isn't so great, but we're going to stand by this person. Everyone doesn't, none of these corporations want to seem insensitive. And so all this stuff is being kind of exacerbated. And then you, 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 some people out there are weaponizing this stuff. So they'll go back and grab Kevin Hart's tweets or James Gunn's tweets from long ago, which were meant satirically. There's no evidence that he acted this way. And basically people are being strung up by their words because of this perfect storm of corporate sensitivity and, um, you know, well, and, and kind I'm, of I'm that, ambition to take the Me Too thing further and further. Well, on that subject, it's very interesting that uh, a lot of writers now are rebelling against the contracts that have been submitted to them by magazine publishers and book publishers. Um, they're very, but many considered to be onerous stipulations in these deals. The deals provide that companies can cancel a book or a magazine deal if past or future misconduct by the author is, quote, inconsistent with the author's reputation at the time the agreement was executed, or public con condemnation comes to light. Now, what this basically means that if some pressure group or some blogger um, uh, challenges uh, an opinion, past or present, one that causes the writer to become a subject of a public dispute, then a publisher can simply call off the deal. And, retroactively and and i think that this what this basically is is a distortion of the old morale morality clauses that were imposed by hollywood and in sports but those clauses were aimed at protecting distributors from the actions of of self-destructive stars who were arrested for drug use or for sexual misconduct and i have as in my studio days have exercised uh, those morality clauses. I remember uh, on one set, set coming on um, the star of a particular movie who was not only drinking excessively, but uh, was delaying the schedule uh, enormously. And when I um, pointed out that he was behaving badly, he took out a gun and waved it at me. Now, I went through the morality clauses. I went through insurance issues. I told him in no uncertain terms that his career is going to be over and put away the damn gun and shape up. Now, that's one area, but that's so different from someone, and this is a little Kevin Hardy, from a company saying, boy, this person's may become a little controversial because a story appeared in the paper about him, and therefore all the deals that we made with them are canceled. Don't you find that a little scary, Mike? Well, I do, but you know what? It's part of this whole slippery slope, and we haven't really established the ground rules. And, and I can certainly sympathize 
with a corporation which is investing money in uh, in acquiring a book um, and then having to 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 put up the money to promote it and to basically uh, base its revenue expectations around that book and then have it all blow up in their face because of some controversy. I can understand them wanting to protect themselves. Let's face it. Um, you know, I mean, look in the case of uh, like with Louis C.K. when he had a feature film and that blew up when those revelations came out about how he was behaving in the company of women writers under his employee. And it was appalling behavior. Or, and Morgan Spurlock, one, you know, he, he has his, uh, ju- the equivalent of the Jerry Maguire mission statement where he, he has turmoil and he writes this whole thing talking about how he hasn't been a good person. And suddenly his documentaries belong to smithereens and his company is basically struggling to hang on. I, I think the, the, the results of these kinds of things are so precipitous and so sudden and abrupt. I, I can't really blame uh, corporations or book publishers from wanting to at least protect themselves somewhat. And maybe, maybe this will keep people in line. Um, and, you know, but a lot of this, I think, Peter, has to do with vetting things more carefully. I mean, we go back to Kevin Hart, and it's too bad that the Oscars didn't anticipate this. They could have, before Kevin Hart, now Deadline broke the story that Kevin was getting the job, and maybe, so maybe we rushed that process. But, you know, but, but this could have been dealt with. He could have he been asked in advance to say something apologetic. Um, you know, uh, when he was announced, the, you know, the, there was a way to deal with this thing. And I think from now on, no matter where you are, or what job you're taking, if you're getting a job as a journalist or if you're hosting an award show, people have to vet your social media records all the way back to the beginning. And maybe you want to scrub things that, that, that come off stupidly. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just a slippery slope, but I, I can understand a corporation wanting to protect itself. I don't, I, I can't believe that I hear you defending corporations. I go back to my re- Republican friend, Peggy Noonan, who said, and I repeat it, the trend toward either self-censorship or organized censorship amounts to an assassination of creativity. I think we should remember that concept. But wait, but you know, but Peter, let's just stretch this a little bit. I agree but with you. But you want the last look word, at God, yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. It's a let, let's look at Eddie Murphy. Now, Eddie Murphy is, would be a perfect Oscar host. But if you go back into the comedy routines that made Eddie such a huge star, the best stand-up comic that we've ever seen of his generation, there are a lot of things in there that if you played them right now, they would seem homophobic and unacceptable. Now, does that mean that Eddie Murphy, if he wants to, should not be allowed to host the Academy Awards? This is the problem. Is you know, it, it's we're not. We're, everything is now retroactive, and it's like we're in the second act of the Crucible. And anything that you've done in the past, you, you either you hope it gets hidden, or it's it's going to be trotted out, and you're going to be graded on it as though it happened on Thursday. That's the problem here. And I don't really side with the corporations. I'm just saying I can understand that they must be, they've seen enough of these things blow up and become financial calamities that it's, it's understandable that they would somehow want to protect themselves. The problem is all these things can be weaponized. And, and, and will a publisher use 
a flimsy, use that clause as a flimsy excuse to get rid of a book that maybe doesn't come in and, and, and meet their expectations. There are all kinds of problems, but right now it's like we're living in a problem-ridden time because of this whole, um, because of this whole purity drive that we're going through. And I think we just have to hang in there and, 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 and it'll calm down at some point, I hope. I, I don't mind hanging in there. I just don't want to be hung out to dry. 